0: Father, we come before you asking for your blessing on what has been written here, that it is as it goes into our ears and sinks into our minds, may it become part of us. May we not quickly forget it. As especially, Lord, we age, that seems to be a difficulty. We ask that you would bring to remembrance whatever we ingest as far as your word is concerned and use it for the benefit of ourselves in this life and the next, and the benefit of others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we left off with the four classes of individuals that are delineated from verse 12 to verse 14. And it talks about dear children and fathers and young men. And those categories that I gave you were four categories of individuals. First, the infant And then the toddler, and then the young men, and then the fathers. Now, that isn't exclusively something that is a uh, a hierarchy where we have a, a bunch of, or a patriarchy where we have just a bunch of men in control. Women who can be like quote unquote fathers, and what is being spoken of here is the idea that you would be completely spiritually mature, where you feed yourself, you're well familiar with what the word says and you can give counsel and instruction to others. Remember I talked about the infant. The infant is one who just gets saved and knows nothing about doctrine or practice uh, or morality and even ethics inside the Christian church, and they have to be taught the very basics. The toddler is the one who knows just enough to be dangerous and wreaks havoc inside the church and they need to be corralled and directed and helped along in their faith and the young men both young men and young women, they're the ones that do the work of the ministry. They're the ones who are providing everything that is needed as far as ministry is concerned. They're the ones that are the hands of the church. And each one of us are in one of those four categories. Sometimes we hop from one to another, like you might be a father or a mother and decide today, I'm going to be a toddler. And I'm just going to wreak havoc somewhere. and, And We ought not to do that, but the Lord calls us on to be mature. And as this is delivered, if you look in your Bibles at this particular passage, you'll notice that the stanzas are different. Right before this particular passage, you have usually, there are two columns in your Bible. If you have a like an NIV, you'll have two columns. And you'll notice that the words go from side to side in the column. But when it gets to this point, where it talks about the infants and the young children and the young men and the fathers, you'll notice that there are certain indents. And I've pointed this out before. But that is poetry in the Scripture. Uh, and the reason it's poetry is there's supposed to be a a rhythm or a message all of its own in this, and it was something that was easy to remember. Uh, For instance, when I grew up in the church, when I was, uh, I think, a toddler, there was a lot of Scripture songs that we would do. We wouldn't just sing these songs like we sing today. Occasionally, I'll throw in a Scripture song. Like, for instance, Matthew chapter 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's a scripture song. Uh, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. That is a scripture song. Or, um, let's see, what's another one? Do the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. And you start clapping, and it's just a scripture song. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, they came out with whole CDs. You guys remember what a CD is? They came out with CDs. And the CDs would be nothing but scripture songs. And you could memorize the scripture songs. And it was good to do that. And all those scripture songs were poetry inside of the New Testament. There's one in Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things that the Lord does hate. Yes, there are seven that are detestable. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill, and a heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among the church, or among brothers is what it says. And so if you are able to put that to a song in poetry, you can remember it. This was probably a song or a hymn where he starts speaking about the four classes of individuals there so that you would remember it, you would take it away with you, you'd be able to meditate on it. Now, there are a lot of songs out there that have messages that are not so good. And I've told you before, like, on the weekends, since I teach the youth, I want to listen to some of the songs that they listen to. There's one particular youth that loves One Direction. And One Direction, they just lost one of their singers. And the poor person, I won't say male or female, but the poor person was almost in tears. And when this guy did... No, was it Never mind. He was almost in tears that One Direction was breaking up. The group was breaking up. And, you know, so I've listened to a little bit of One Direction. I go, okay, I, I get it. It's not too edgy. But, you know... Um, there's one song that's out there, and there was a, an award given to this individual, and all I'll say, it's all about the bass. You guys know what the song is, right? MTV gave an award for the most edgy lyrics, and Meghan Trainor won it. She won it for the most edgy lyrics. And, you know, you listen to some of those songs. And I have to admit, some of those songs you listen to, and you just want to stop what you're doing, and, you know, just because just, the beat is just so good, you know, you just get wrapped up into it. And if you want to start singing it, then you go, what on earth am I singing? You know, it's just horrible lyrics. But, you know, I have to do this. You know, I listen to these uh, for the sake of the kids, because they'll come in and they'll talk about them. They know all the groups that are out there and all the songs that go with them, and and it's bad. But this is one that you can look to, and if you can develop a song with it and just carry it out, the Psalms. If you just put the Psalms into songs, it would be great. Psalm 145, 146, 147, 148. It it's, it starts there, I will praise the Lord, I will praise God, I will exalt. And that's all, it, I think David wrote those, that's all that he says in there. And he says, all the earth, praise the Lord. And it's just a big song. You now, I imagine him playing this harp and singing these songs. And you would have had this concert going on. And I know that they had drums, and I wonder if they had like a stomp thing going on when they'd play these songs. But that's how you would remember the scriptures is to put them to song. It's a a lot easier to do that. So that's why this is in the fashion of poetry because it would have been easy to remember. And their poetry back then in their language didn't necessarily rhyme, but the truths would kind of roll forth, and that's how you would keep this in mind. Now verse 15 goes on and says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, this is also called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. So the love of God and the love of earthly things are not compatible. At least in God's economy, they are not compatible. And as a result of the fall, we prefer things that are corporeal rather than things of Christ. Corporeal means the things of of the body. We like things that satisfy our flesh, and that is our entire existence, Uh, especially those who don't know the Lord. Their entire existence is based upon how they feel about what is transpiring in the world and how it affects them personally. Now, we do this as Christians too, but we're encouraged Not to do that. For instance, for all that is in the world, and a lot of commentators have commentated on this. This is uh, the thing that the world possesses that's only sensual. The gratification is transient. It doesn't last. It is everything in the world that appeals to us. And I was meditating on this a little bit. When you listen to some of the radio stations that are out there, they say that there are big events coming up and it is going to be so awesome and you're going to want to be there and we're giving away free tickets and if you just get these, it will fulfill your life. And if you go to this concert, we'll even give you free backstage passes to meet the individual. And that would just be like over the top, right? I saw this one post of this person who pulled over to help somebody on a motorcycle with a flat tire. And they were on the way to a John Mayer concert. And when they pulled over, little did they know it was John Mayer. And they ended up picking him up and they took a selfie, you know, in the car. It's us with John Mayer. He's in the, uh, for those of you who don't know who John Mayer is, he is a, a song artist who's out there. He's wildly popular among certain circles. And so they put him in the car. Not only that, but he brought them backstage, gave them front row seats in the concert, and then went to dinner afterwards with them. And they were just going, that was so great. You know, it was wonderful. And, of course, they found out he's just a normal guy, right? He's a normal guy just like anybody else. But we build these things up. They're going to be so spectacular. And if you are there, it's going to fulfill your life. Like, for instance, Times Square, New Year's Eve. Couldn't you just wait to go there? (laughs) But the world says, oh, we gotta be there. And you know, if you look at the cameras, and all the policemen that are around and how they barricade the people into these little bitty pigeonholed places and you want to leave? Where are you going? You know, and they, they just check you out. But the world promotes it as the greatest thing all year long. You're going to want to be there. All that the world has to offer. Not only that, but the cars and the houses. Now, for example, if you own a home, if you own a condo, inside that condo, you have furniture. And when you buy furniture, you make a choice where you're going to buy the furniture. Sometimes you see it on the side of the road. It's no joke. We did this once. A neighbor was throwing away a couch. And they told me what they have done in the past is they would pull the upholstery off. They would take the threads out of it. They would lay out the material, cut new material just the way it was, and put it back together. We did that once. They were going to throw it away. We said, okay, we'll get it. And we always oh, a beautiful couch. It was beautiful. You know, when we got it all done, it was just wonderful. We got the cushions done by somebody else, but it turned out great. And It was, it would probably be a 700 $900 couch, something like that, and it turned out great. And it served us well for years. It was even a pull-out couch, uh, a uh, bed you know, there's a bed on it. And it was just like, wow, that, that was a fun project. Took forever, but it was a fun project. You can do that. You can get your furniture off the street. You can go to Goodwill. You can get your furniture there. There's a consignment store, or not a consignment store, in an state sales store down in Morena. They have some of the greatest things in there. You go in there and antiques and stuff, and you look at it and go, wow, there's a lot of stuff. Or you can go to Jerome's. Or you can go to some places up in Miramar and you can pay seven to $9,000 for a couch. <laughs> You're shaking your head, no way am I doing that. You can do that, but you have to make a choice. The world has to offer these couches. And by the way, there's furniture now that instead of plugging in your phone at night, you put your phone on top of the furniture and it charges all by itself. You don't have to plug it in. Now, are you saying, I want one of those, right? Or do you just want the little nightstand from Goodwill? You see how we get these things offered to us by the world? There's all different levels. Do you want a Pinto? (laughs) I'm not talking about beans either. Or do you want something that's a little more hip? You know, do you want a 2015 Corvette? If you could, oh, no, I don't want that either. Yeah, you know the maintenance costs. But the world offers all of that, and depending on where you are in your walk, some of those things will appeal to you, some won't. But this is what the world has to offer you. Not only that, but if you go somewhere, do you want the accommodations that are four-star or five-star or definitely not one-star but maybe two-and-a-half to three-star, which one are you willing to settle for? So that's what the world has to offer. Then there's the lust of the flesh, or this is the first one. It's the sensual and impure desires that seek gratification in different things, like sex and alcohol and drugs and food. And another one is living on the edge. Have you guys seen some of these fail pictures and videos of these people The last one I saw was this guy thinking he's going to take about 30 concrete steps on a bike, jump all the way over them, and land safely. That's what he thought he was going to do. He stopped himself with his face, is how he... Yeah, exactly. And that was a fail. But people do these extreme sports because of the excitement and the thrill that it offers. You get this adrenaline going, and it's like a high. Have you guys... I think I mentioned this before, the The biggest swing in the world is in New Zealand. Have you guys seen that? This, it, it is, it is huge. I mean, they, they are falling like for a count of 10 before they ever start swinging. They just stick them out there and you can see the people being nervous on the little videos and they get them right out to the edge and the girls are screaming, no, no. And then they go, sorry. And they, they just start falling on the swing. And the swing, it's in a huge... It's like off of a mountain. And it's in this huge canyon. It just keeps on going on. And there's a thrill. And people seek that thrill. That's what the world has to offer. That's a lust of the flesh. They are what's called adrenaline junkies. So there is this lust of the flesh. Then there's the lust of the eyes. And that's everything... That would appeal to your eyes that you want to keep gazing upon. It does something to you. Again, it can be somebody of the opposite sex. It can be a shiny car. It can be a place setting in a uh, department store. You just look at it and the way that it's presented. It can be jewelry. It can be dresses. It can be anything. The lust of the eyes, we are drawn to those things. And then there's the pride of life. The pride of life are things like seeking after titles Uh, once when I was in um, college as counselor, he wrote me a letter. Uh, I watched his place. We were friends. I watched his place when he had gone away, and he was writing me a letter to thank me for what I had done. And in the letter, he addressed it to me. He put my address, and then he put, uh, after my name, he put uh, Bachelor's of Science, Ph.D., uh, doctor of ministry i mean just all of these different titles that you can get and he did that as a joke but he wanted everybody to think that i was something that i wasn't and that's what the world seeks after are those titles now how much of those titles worth today i think a lot less than they used to be worth but people still seek after that they want that name recognition and you know there are people that graduate from college today that can't even read or write And that when they're just pushing them through, whether for sports or whatever the case is, and it is a great offense, but there is this pride of life. And the Scripture says that this is not of the Father. This is something that is of the world. And if we seek after these things... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. If we talk about our accomplishments, if we're saying what we have done and what we haven't done. Now, there's one thing to explain a story if you're in a conversation. It's another to explain, well, I have this experience and I am deserving of this. Like when you go for a job interview, what do you do? You're supposed to sell yourself, right? That's how the world is geared. Talk about yourself. Put on your resume all of those titles. And we want you to be here because you have so much going for you, so much experience. You are the one. And they raise you up and you say, I am the one. And you start in the particular job. That's how the world works. And really, the character thing, they look at it a little bit. They'll look at Facebook and see what you post on there. But uh, for the most part, it's all about you. And you are the one that is supposed to excel. And God says, It's not even about you. It's about everybody else. It's about the kingdom of God which is coming. So our focus is to turn away from the things of the world and towards the things of God. If we do that, there's tremendous benefit that lies ahead. Now, lest you think you have arrived and say, I have either a problem with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boasting pride of life. I heard about this guy yesterday, so I looked it up. Something that would attract, something of the world that attracted somebody. And I'm going to, I have a string of pearls I'm going to put together with this. This man tore a tendon in his left thumb. This happened after six to eight weeks of a repetitive behavior. And the repetitive behavior was playing Candy Crush on his cell phone for six to eight weeks all day and he broke the tendon in the thickest part he didn't break it in the smallest part he was playing candy crush now he just got out of the military he was unemployed and he called it something just something to do he didn't think he had a problem at that point playing candy crush so he would use his left hand and he'd watch the candy crush I, I don't even know what Candy Crush is, but he said he was playing Candy Crush and with his right hand, you know, if he wanted to sip some tea or something, he would just sit there and, or coffee or, and he would eat while he's playing this thing with his thumb the whole time. And they, the doctor asked him when he originally showed up, he goes, doctor, my thumb is just killing me. He goes, well, is there any kind of behavior? You know, What have you been doing? You've been typing a lot? What have you been doing? He goes, well, I just play Candy Crush. Well, how often? About 18 hours a day. Well, how long have you been doing this? About six or eight weeks. It's like, come on. Now, this is something, and they said the reason that he didn't feel it was because when you're so focused like that on this little video game that has these enhancements that go into your eyes and it does something to your brain, painkillers are released by your brain where you don't even feel it. You would have think by week three, he would have been feeling something in his thumb. But now he has to have surgery on his thumb because of playing Candy Crush so long on his smartphone. Right? Now, I'm going to take a poll. You ready? (laughs) Not about Candy Crush. It's all right. (laughs) How many of you... Now, I want you to leave your hands up. How many of you have a smartphone? Raise your hand. Okay, now keep it up. Now... Those of you who have never checked your phone while driving in a car, put your hand down. You're not even driving yet, so you don't even count. Okay, you can put your hands down. How, now, I'm going to ask you this. How often do you think, or how many times a day, does an adult check their cell phone? 40. There's a 40. 80? It depends on the age group. does it all the time. Two. Two times a day. He checks it two times a day. They did studies on this, and you know they can do studies because they monitor what you do on your phone. They know exactly what you do on your phone. 150 times a day is an average. An average. They said, youth, youth check their phone on average about every six and a half seconds. Now, you know, when I started reading about this, I go, whoa, there is a new idol. This is a brand new idol that we have never had before. And, you know, I'm I'm in the habit sometimes if I'm out working, I'll leave my phone in my vehicle. I'll just leave it there because I've got things to do. I can't check it. You know, and somebody wants to get a hold of me, they can wait. How many times have you gotten upset when somebody has not returned your text right away? You guys are smiling. You? Why aren't you texting me? And the other phone's going, bzz, bzz, bzz. it's just burning up because you're going, you need to contact me. And there's no patience whatsoever. Pretty soon you're going to need a tendon replacement, you know, if you keep that up. <laughs> And so we have this thing, these electronics that are with us. I, I took my computer in, and of course, all this stuff is mostly anecdotal that I'm giving you, but it is an indicator of what's going on. There used to be only, well, zero people had uh, cell phones, smartphones, right? Now, 230 million people in the United States have cell phones. The population of the United States is, I think, over 325 million is what it is. So most of the United States, we all have cell phones. We're all checking it. Some of us limit it. Some of us do not. And especially the kids, virtually the kids of today are on it the whole time. They carry it in their hand. And when they're talking to you, they have it. And even when they're talking to you, they glance at it and then look back, right? Now, on top of that, They would say the number of times that people would check for emails, the number of times they check for texts, the number of times they check for time. How many of you still have a watch that you wear? Raise your hand. Several of you. How many have given up? Okay. How many of you have given up your watch for your cell phone? See, I'm one of those too. I don't wear my watch anymore because I have the cell phone. And I just bring out the cell phone and I check the time with that. Because I can also check for other things when I check for the time. You know? <laughs> and so that, that's what happens is we have this new idol that the world offers. And the world wants you to have it. We are giving them away for free in our country because... Our world wants us to have the technology. They want to know what you're doing. They want you to be bound to it. Can you give up your cell phone? (laughs) Some of you are not quite sure. I see heads going. I'm not quite sure if I could, you know, give up that cell phone because you're so in contact with the people that are around you and you are constant you. I say you. Of course, that includes me. We are all looking at this thing, and I came to the realization, what, like I said before, this is an idol. I took in my computer recently. I thought there was just something wrong with the hard drive, and I was just going to get a new hard drive. And I took it in there to uh, have the people look at it, at place on uh, Broadway, and they, Broadway and El Cajon, and they took it, and they said, okay, we're going to put this upgraded system in there and, and everything. But they said, no, the motherboard was bad. And so I had to go in and pick it up. And when I went in there and picked it up, they have this back room lined with computers, lined with games, lined with people playing the games for hours. They have their headphones on, and they're sit- they have their 1,200-ounce Slurpee cup that's right there. And you know they're, they're drinking the thing, and they are there literally for hours. They are there for hours. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's a little gross, but I'm going to let you know what this is, and I'm sure some of you techies can confirm this. Sometimes when they have these all-nighter game things, they have something they wear. But it depends on what you want to <laughs> talk about. They will It's just... That is just absurd to me that they would do it. And they sit there, and as I picked up my computer... Everybody had their headphones on, you know, that lined on both sides of both these computers. And one guy was being vocal. Of course, you can speak because you're playing with other people throughout the world. And you can speak in there. And you would hear these guys, I got you, man. Oh, you are so dead. You know, and then and they would just carry on and be only one guy. Be completely silent back there. And that's what he'd be saying. be totally wrapped up in this alternative universe. And that's where the wave of things is going for electronics, live in this other universe, so to speak. You know, and the world has to offer this stuff. And that's the latest one. That is our generations exclusively. What was the first computer you ever had, a Commodore 64? An Atari eight? I had an Atari, you know, something like that. Mac, no, that was later. That was much later. I remember the first computer in my math class in seventh grade, Mr. Ogden. He brought in it. It looked like a teletype machine. It was about this big. And the, th- the thing typed out. And I go, wow, that's pretty cool. And the, the backup or the programming uh, tape, it was a card about this long and about that wide. And it had a magnetic strip on it. And you'd put that in there and it would, you know, do whatever it needed to do. And this is our generation that we have this new idol which is here. So the things, I'm saying all this so that we recognize the things of this world Do not let them entrap you. Do not let them suck you away to where you just spend hours and hours and hours on your electronics. And we do that. First it was TV when we're growing up, and now it's the electronics that are there. And I have several articles that back this stuff up as far as the usage. uh, Some of the people who didn't use it as much, on average, 23 times a day, they'd check it for messaging, 22 times a day for voice call, 18 times a day. Uh, just to get the time. And these are the low users. These aren't the high users. And then you combine that, all the games and everything else that's on there. And so, uh, by the way, I want to let you know this little fact as I was doing this research with this little idol that we carry around. And I have this, and the name of the article was from the National Law Review, April 19, 2015. You know, they have passed these laws where you're not supposed to text in your car. Why did they tell you? They don't want you texting in your car. Are texting in car. You'll kill yourself texting. Do you know since they passed these laws, automobile accidents as a result of texting have increased? It's more than drinking. No, it's because now people, instead of texting up here, they put it down and they text down here. And so the law that they passed to stop, texting is actually causing more automobile accidents. What do you think about that? It's this idea of following the law. We are all law. Who has never texted while driving? Oh, you guys are such angels. You're so good. That is wonderful. <coughs> but you know, most of us in here are probably lawbreakers. We just can't wait. And, and so as a result We see what the world offers, we get involved in it, we want to go with the flow, we want to be hip. Lord says, don't. Just start going in the opposite direction. So this is an encouragement to most of us in here. The world, verse 17, and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So everything that you might desire from this world, it's taken a hike. You can't take it with you. I, I read some other article, somebody in uh, Europe, a $2 billion man, he just died. And I thought, you know, death is the great equalizer. It takes away all the possessions, all the technology, all the desires, wants and cares, and puts everybody into the same boat. And so we can desire these things of the world, but it's only temporary. The satisfaction is not going to last. So... Going on, first John chapter two, verse eighteen. Here we have a change in venue, so to speak, dear children, this is the last hour. Now, if you read that simple verse, verse eighteen, this is the last hour. What in the world is he talking about it's the last hour he's saying it's not just the last day, it's not just the last year, it's the last hour you have, quote-unquote, less than an hour before, and he's talking about the Lord coming back, his return, his second return. Now, with this, sometimes we have a tendency to tune out. There are whole religious movements that tune out when it comes to eschatology. And the Apostle Paul, at least four times in his Gospels, tells us that he does not want us to be ignorant and specifically he talks about this ignorance for instance he doesn't want us to be ignorant about god's plan for israel according to romans chapter 11 verse 25 and first corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 he also doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts and that is the word that he used by the way and it's used more than four times in the new testament i think it's a little over 20 times it's used but in First Corinthians chapter twelve verse one, he doesn't want us to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. Also, we're not to be ignorant about suffering and trials that we experience in the Christian life. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter one verse eight, talks about that. And then also, he doesn't want us to be ignorant about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus as depicted in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And one commentator says, remarkably, in these areas where ignorance is still common in the Christian world, we, we really don't know what's going to take place. And we're supposed to endeavor to find out what's ahead of us. Now, there is the study of last things. There's a theological word for that. Who can name the theological word for the study of last things? Eschatology, that's correct. It's eschatology. Now, we should know that word because if you wanted to look up something on your smartphone while you're driving concerning eschatology... You could speak into it when it's mounted and you could say, look up eschatology. And Siri would say, I'm looking in the internet for eschatology. And you will get a definition of what eschatology is in everything that surrounds that, being in the last hour. Now, it was the last hour over 2,000 years ago. So according to your watch or your cell phone timer, how much time do you have left? You can see this clicking away. Now, some people would say... They have been saying this for thousands of years that Jesus Christ is going to come back and I don't see him being any closer than he was 2,000 years ago. How long are you going to wait? Do you actually believe that this is literal, that he's going to come back? Like in Zechariah chapter 14, it says his foot will land on the Mount of Olives. There will be a great crevasse or a great split in the land. Half of the land will move to the north. Half of it will move to the south. And he'll walk through to the gate beautiful, which will open up. And that's how the Messiah is going to come back straight from heaven down to earth, just like he left. Do you actually believe that, that that's going to happen? Or is it just myth? I believe it's actually going to happen. It says that in the narrative sense inside of Scripture. It's not used in the form of poetry it's not used in a similitude it's not used in a way that would make us think it's not literal and he says i'm coming back now here when it's the last hour the hour is metaphoric it's not something that he is okay you you have 60 days or 60 minutes or 60 seconds before he comes back he says this is definitely happening in the future now in verse 2 it says excuse me, second half of uh, 18, it says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now, there we go. You had to say Antichrist, right? The end times are coming and the Antichrist is coming and he wants these people to know what is going on. And remember, Paul did not want us to be ignorant about the rapture and the second coming of Christ. And there's a lot of detail between the rapture And the second coming of Christ, specifically what is referenced here, is the Antichrist. Now, what about this? First, you don't need to be afraid about the Antichrist. You've seen the movies that have been depicting the Antichrist out there. Every single one of them is completely wrong. They are not right at all. I've never seen an accurate presentation of the Antichrist in the form of media on television or in movies, anywhere it is not correct. And who is this guy supposed to be and what is supposed to take place? Now, in the historical timeline of the eschatological view of the Christian church, the very next thing for us to see, prophetically speaking, is going to be the rapture. Now, there can be some things maybe leading up to that, setting the stage, and we can kind of look for that. We go over that usually in the Bible study. But these things are starting to transpire in the world that would have us think, wow, the rapture, you know, it could be any time. I remember 20 years ago, it could be any time. But really now, anytime with what we see as far as the evil and the economics and the war building around the world, we're not building armaments for war, but guess who is? China and Russia and Iran. And guess what? Russia and Iran are in the Bible as being warmongers. That's what they're going to do And it's building up. And when you see that taking place, you go, wait, wait. It talks about that in Scripture. So I know it's getting closer. We're supposed to kind of read the signs and the times he told us not to be ignorant of these things. And so the next thing to happen is the rapture. Now, for those of you who don't know, I've talked about the rapture very often, but the rapture is located in First Thessalonians chapter 4, also First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. It's also in Isaiah chapter 26 where he says, Go and hide yourself a little while in my chambers until my wrath is passed by. And also John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. So those four groups, that, that group of Scripture, four of those, lead us in the direction of the rapture. The rapture is not the second coming, and the second coming often gets confused or combined with the raptures. And we do that to our own detriment because while we're waiting for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, and by the way, that's another one, that's not referring to the second coming, that's referring to the rapture. We look forward to the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and where will we meet him? In the air. In the clouds, it says that's where we're going to meet him, and from there we're going to heaven. And I believe at that time we're going to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is talked about in the Book of Revelation, and we will receive at that time the gifts laid out in first Corinthians chapter three, wood, hand, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. We'll be judged at the beam of seed of Christ, given our reward for what we have done here on earth. The great white throne judgment doesn't happen until after the rapture is over after the millennial reign of Christ, and after everything is destroyed. That's when the great white throne judgment takes place. Now, this is eschatology. These are the things we're supposed to be aware of. And you might say, why? I just want to know how to live. So we have a motivation. There are people who are dying. Now, imagine, let's just take the literal view. The rapture happens, and someone you love is going to be left behind. Have you told them there's going to be a rapture? And you might say, well, I don't know if I believe it, and I don't know if I have enough information under my belt to tell them. If there's a judgment to come, wouldn't you tell somebody? If somebody had a car planted on some train tracks, and you knew the 415 is going to be coming across those train tracks, and it's 405 right now, are you, and you're living in the house right next to the train tracks, are you going to go out there and say, Man, you better move that thing? There's a train coming. Or are you just going to say, This is going to be good? <laughs> you know, what, it, what do you say to them? You go out there and you tell them, Move your car, you know, is what you're supposed to do. That's the same thing. There is a freight train of judgment coming, and God loves us so much. He has given us the information so that we can avoid that. He loves others so much, he has given you and me the information to tell everybody and say, look, this is coming and you need to be aware of it. Right now it's 4.05 and the 4.15 is going to be here and there's going to be demolition that is going to take place and you're not going to want to be here when it happens. So that's why we're supposed to know this. Paul says we're not supposed to be ignorant about this. Now, what about this guy called the Antichrist? He has been called. Before I go on, there are some people that have said, both in agreement and in objection to going over eschatology, they have said, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Amen to that. I'm looking for Jesus Christ, the glorious appearing, Titus 2.13. That's, I am shooting for that. I keep looking up. But yet, No. It, it's, it hasn't come yet. But he does not want us to be ignorant of who this guy is, not just the individual, but the spirit of Antichrist. You know, that gets into the spiritual realm, and God has revealed to us that there is not just one Antichrist, but there are several people who are of the spirit of Antichrist. And you can look around the world and you can point to who those people are. In history, we can go back. For instance, I will definitely defend the stand that Lenin was of the spirit of Antichrist. Mussolini was of the spirit of Antichrist. Hitler was of the spirit of Antichrist. And if you don't know who those people are, you need to go back and find out who they are. They were killing millions. Pol Pot was of the spirit of Antichrist. We're going over to Cambodia, and we were told we're not going to go to the killing fields, but we're going to go to another section that's just like that if we have the chance, where they stack the skulls up of all the people that they have murdered uh, after the Vietnam War and the Cambodian conflict and everything that was going on over there. And so there are wicked individuals. Right now, the spirit of Antichrist is located where? In Isis. The spirit of Antichrist is in ISIS. And ISIS, you know, they just uh, they committed a crime. I just read about it yesterday. They just committed a crime that the Taliban condemned. They said, this is way over the top. This isn't even something we would do. And so the spirit of Antichrist is here now, and we have to be able to recognize it. Now, the individual who is the Antichrist, as opposed to Christ... He's been called the King of Babylon in Isaiah fourteen four, the Little Horn in Daniel chapter seven verse eight and eight verse nine, the King insolent and skilled in intrigue, chapter eight verse twenty three of Daniel, the Prince who is to come, chapter nine verse twenty six in Daniel, the Willful King, chapter eleven verse thirty six in Daniel, and the New Testament he is called the Man of Lawlessness, the Son of Destruction, the Man of Sin, the Antichrist, and the Beast. He is sinister. He is demon-inspired. He is a demon-inspired leader, I should say, that will dominate the world, persecutes the saints. He seeks to destroy the Jews and banish the name of God and his Christ from the earth. He seeks to destroy Israel. He wants to thwart the plan of God for the messianic millennial kingdom and, again, the restoration of Israel. Now, he is destroyed at the second coming of Christ, and men in the world have been accused of being the Antichrist. I was at a prophecy seminar once, and there were several speakers there. And this one speaker got up to the chagrin of the host. They were the Lalonde brothers, and this was probably 15, 20 years ago. And the speaker came up, and he told us he was going to tell us who the Antichrist was. And he did. He told us who the Antichrist was. And he said, It is Juan Carlos of Spain. That's who it is. And we're, you know, we said, Really? Juan Carlos of Spain. That's the guy, huh? And we're just going, Come on, couldn't you pick somebody better than Juan Carlos of Spain? You know that Ronald Reagan was called the Antichrist. Yeah. Do you know that Henry Kissinger was called the Antichrist? What they do is they, they take the name of the individual and they give a numeric equivalent to each letter, like you do in the Greek or you do in the Hebrew. And then you add up all of those numbers in there, and if those numbers add up to 666, you are the Antichrist, is how they would do it. And they sell books on this stuff. that When the Antichrist shows up, you're not going to have to guess. And I don't think we're going to see the Antichrist. I think you'll know right away. But we're out of time. And so we'll talk about this tomorrow. Let's pray. Next time. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you have told us in advance what is going to take place. You have given us the future in the written word. And we pray that we would not be slack in understanding it. But Father, I pray that we don't go from this place not understanding your love for us how you have given us this information because you love us. You want us to be prepared. We understand that, Lord. You want us to be saved. You want us to be safe. You want us to tell others because you love them just as much. Help us to operate from that standpoint, the standpoint of love, even though there is judgment and we must speak about that. May we lift up more the love and the mercy and the grace that you have for us we thank you for these things and we know that faith hope and love all remain but the greatest of these is love so help us to be partakers in participants in the love you have given us in jesus name